Wow, that was nice. That's the walk-up music, I guess. So, uh, good morning. Um, Listen, if you cannot make it here Saturday to help with the work day, but there's something on that list that you would like to be a part of or you feel like you'd like to do for the church, you can still sign up for it and just let us know, I can't be here Saturday, but I would like to do it sometime during the week because it doesn't, Saturday's not, you know, it doesn't have to be done on Saturday. It can be done in your own time. So just let us know that. Um, How many of you thought about maybe going to the Creation Museum and getting on the Ark this week? Anybody? I thought about it a couple of times when that rain was falling down at my house, especially Wednesday. It was really, really, really deep. Um, it's, it's nice to know that there is an ark <laughs> somewhere <laughs> that maybe we could get to. Yep. Yep. So, and it's, and it's life size. It's the size that it was in the Bible. Um, I'm sure that it would float. So I think that would, that would have been good. Good. So did nobody else get rain but me? And you didn't think about a flood? I mean, there was a whole thing coming, a whole river coming down my road um, covering it, and I live beside a gully, and all the all the stuff in my neighborhood, the water stuff, kind of gets drained right in that area, at least in my section, and it was like a, a waterfall back back there. So maybe it was just my house. Maybe God was judging me. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Today we're starting a new series called Fantastic Beasts and Where Where to Find Them. And um, there are a lot of interesting beasts in the Bible, and that's, that's what we're going to jump into. So to get started, I want to um, kind of talk to you about, there's, there's a place in the Bible where God talks for a very extensive amount of time. In fact, it's, it's probably the longest speech that God gave to one person in the Bible, and that is in the book of Job. And as he's talking, he, he kind of builds this thing. He, he, God starts small, and he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as he goes. How many of you have ever been to um, Washington, D.C.? Ever been there? Yeah. Um, I, I went a couple of years ago, and um, I'd always seen pictures of President Lincoln sitting in that chair, right? And in the pictures, it, I'm not saying that it was small, but it looked small. Right? And so when you get to Washington, D.C., and you see it across whatever that pond is there, they don't call it a pond, but the pond, because, you know, we're Farmington. So pond, and you see it across there, it doesn't seem, you know, that big. I mean, it seems big, but not that big. And so as you walk around to get to it, and you get closer and closer, um, you begin to realize the mass size of that statue. And when you're actually up next to it, it is absolutely amazing that an artist, a sculptor, actually sculpted that image and set it with that detail at that location. It's absolutely amazing. So what God is doing in in Job is he's starting small, and he's allowing Job to get closer and closer and closer to him until he sees how big God actually is. Is. So, in the chapter before the one we're going to get to today, we have these animals that God uh, presents to Job. You, he presents a goat, and he talks about a goat and what a goat does. Um, he presents a donkey, 
and he presents what a donkey does, and, and then he grows a little bit bigger with the ox, and what an ox does, and then he gets a little bit bigger, and he talks about the ostrich. Now, you might not think the ostrich is a little bit bigger, but they are taller. They run faster, and there's some, some things happening there. And the ostrich begins to get into this thing where they're even less controllable than an ox, a donkey, are a goat, okay? A little less controllable. Then you have a horse, and the horse there is meant for strength, and God's talking about strength of the horse and, and all that kind of stuff. And then he does two birds. He does a hawk, and then he goes to the eagle, and, he, and the magnificent of an, magnificence of an eagle and how big it is and how awesome it is, and, and he talks about all, all of that. And then Job kind of talks to him a little bit, and then God jumps right back into it, and he starts describing a beast that you and I have never in our lives ever seen. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to Job chapter 40, and we'll begin reading with verse 15, Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40, verse 15. And it says this. Behold behemoth. Now this is the only place in scripture that this word is used. There's, there's another word that is behemoth, Hebrew, that is used of cattle and other stuff in the scripture, but this is the only place this word behemoth is used. Behemoth, which is cattle, is a feminine word, a, a noun that's in the feminine case. This is a masculine word. It's, it's behemoth, totally different. So totally different than behemoth. So, I mean, behemoth, totally different. So here's this behold behemoth, and instantly you're wondering what in the world is going on here? Because... All of us know what a goat is, right? We've all known some donkeys, right? We, we, we have all seen these sort of things. We've seen an ostrich at, at the zoo, right? We have seen horses. Now, you might not, not have ever seen an ox. I've seen an ox because I've been out of this country, and they still use oxes in, in certain parts of the world. Um, you may have seen one at the zoo, I don't know, but I've actually been up close to touch one. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Those are pretty brute beasts. But we, you and I have never, ever seen a behemoth. Now, let me pause here a moment tell you this. A lot of people think that this word behemoth is actually hippopotamus. It's just a hippopotamus, and, and they're describing a hippopotamus here in Scripture. I submit to you this morning that it is not a hipp hippopotamus. And as you read through it and you start listening to the description that God has given, given to this beast, you begin to realize that this is not a hippopotamus. This is something different. This is something that we have never seen, but guess who had? Job. Job had seen this creature. This is not a mythological creature. This is not some type of psychological thing that God's trying to do to show something with a beast that isn't real. This is an actual real beast that you and I have never seen. This means, <laughs> sorry, 
it's not going to be a good joke because I laughed at it before I actually did it. (laughs) This means that long before we begin to uh, burn fossil fuels in cars, animals were going extinct. Right? Long before. If you and I were to take a trip 6,000 years ago, when the creation was fresh and new, there would be animals that we have never seen in our lifetime, both big and small and medium, that have gone extinct over the years just because of the fall of man and what sin has done to creation. We, although I do think that there are some things that we should do to preserve life here on this planet while we can, because that is our responsibility, we also need to understand that everything is passing away. Everything is passing away. And this earth has to be destroyed for the new one to come. God has a plan for all of this stuff, and he's going to have a fresh new environment in the future. So behemoth, it's, it's not a stretch to say that this is a creature that existed in Job's day that doesn't exist in ours, and he just went extinct. So how does, how does he describe him? Well, verse 15, behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. I made this big, big creature, and I made you as well. He eats grass like an ox. So this, this creature, he eats grass and vegetation. Good. Verse 16, behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. This is not only a creature that eats grass and plants and stuff, but this is a very strong and powerful beast. This is something that Job would know has a lot of strength and a lot of power. Verse 17, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar. And and the ligaments of his thighs are knit together. In other words, this isn't just a little bitty tail. This passage of Scripture, this is a larger tail. Now, I don't know if it's really long or if it's kind of this big and, and strong. I don't know what it is. I think, well, I have an opinion. This is my opinion. I think it's really long. And he describes it as a cedar, meaning that if he swings it, you better duck. Okay? It, this, this is a powerful thing. So even when this thing is eating grass, if his backside begins to turn around, you better duck or do something because you could get hurt with his tail alone, and it would wipe you out. It is as big and as strong as a cedar. So you begin to kind of visualize this thing. What does this thing look like? What, what does it look like? And then in verse Verse 18, it says, his bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. In other words, whatever this creature is, it's almost indestructible. Okay? It is almost indestructible. His bones are tubes of bronze. You can't break his bones. You you can't do anything with his limbs because they're like iron. It is a very strong, strong beast. Verse 19, he is the first of the works of God. The first of the works of God. Let him who made him be near his sword. That means let God be ready with his sword because God is the only one that can take this one out. Okay? 
That's what that means. For the mountains yield food for him. That means he's not just a water creature. He goes up on the mountains. He, he walks on the mountains, comes down to the valleys. He's, he's, he's there. He's that type of beast. Um, we, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants, he lies. By the way, we don't have lotus plants anymore either. Um, you have lotus bushes and you have lotus flowers. I'm not saying that. But these lotus plants were huge and tall in the past. We, we don't have what this is today. So they are also extinct. However, we do have the shelter of the reeds in the marsh and his shade of the locust trees, which we don't have, cover him. The willows of the brook, the willows we still have, the big willow trees, we still have those. And they surround him. So this is a beast that if he wants cover from anything, has to go to the tallest tree that we have and lie up underneath it. So if you can picture a willow tree with all the stuff coming down, he goes up underneath it, and that stuff covers him at night when it, it rains. And he's just about as big as that tree. That tree, according to this passage and how the Hebrew reads, is kind of like a blanket to him. Can you imagine? Do you know what a willow tree is? I'm assuming you know what a willow tree is, right? Huge. Can you imagine a beast that's big enough to where that is a blanket? It's pretty incredible, pretty incredible. So verse 22, behold, the river is turbulent and he's not frightened. In other words, he can walk right through the river and it not even bother him. Doesn't matter how fast the water is flowing, doesn't even bother him. And he is confident though Jordan rushes against his mouth. And then God asks a question, can anyone take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? You can take an ox, put something in his mouth, tie him together, and make him work for you. You can take a horse, and you can tame a horse, and you can ride on top of that horse. You can put something in his mouth, something around his head, and you can control that horse. This passage of Scripture says that this beast is so big, you cannot do anything to control him. You can't put anything in his mouth. You can't make him till the ground for you. You can't make him do anything. He is that big. This, the implication that God is trying to get Job to understand is, this beast is big, and I'm the only one that can control him. I'm the only one that can control him. So you begin to think, well, good night. It, we, we've got... We got a goat. Goats are good for milk. Um, they're good to be sold to people because they eat them. Have you ever had goat? It doesn't taste like chicken. Just want to put that out there. I ate goat before. It just doesn't taste like chicken. Um, it is like a. I don't. I don't need to describe that. Anyway, a goat. You can eat the goat. And the goat is good for like weeds and stuff, right? And you can put them places and they'll, they'll do their thing. A donkey is good, right? You can put him in a pat. well, you can put him in a pasture and he protects your, your cows. Isn't that what he does? That's what he does. And your horses, right? Isn't that right? Well, a, donkey, a donkey's good. If it's good enough for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem, it's good enough for me. A donkey is a good thing. You can, you can make a donkey do certain things. Now, they're stubborn. That's the reason that we use them for 
Comparisons to people. Thank you. Thank you. Comparisons. Um, but nonetheless, we, you can do that. We can't control really an, an eagle, but we can catch one and put him in a cage. And if we catch one, we can cut his wings to where he doesn't fly. We can do the same thing to a hawk, right? You can do all this. God is saying you can't do that to this beast. He's too big. So then what in the world is his purpose? Why is he, why is he there? What is his purpose? See, we, we just went through a lot of beasts that would be very purposeful for us, right? An ox would be something that we would use to, you know, plow the ground or move stuff in the past, right? Or a donkey would help protect or, or you know, I don't know what an eagle would do for you. It's nice to look for you, but there's stuff that, but what is the purpose for, for this beast that eats grass and he's too big for you to control? What is his purpose? I would submit to you this morning that sometimes when we ask that question, what is its purpose, we are asking it, what does it do for me? Right? What, what is this beast going to do for me? You may be sitting here this morning as, we gone, as we've gone through this description, you may be sitting, sitting here thinking, how in the world does this even apply to me? How is this going to help me in my everyday life? What, what about this behemoth is going to help me, what is the function? What is the purpose of this particular beast? And I would submit to you this morning, it is not all about us. A beast like this doesn't have to have a purpose for you. It doesn't have to have a purpose for me. Sometimes God just creates things to show his magnificent, his power, and his glory. And honestly, that should be enough for us. If you think a little further, like outside of the beast room, and you start thinking about the solar system and the planets, which I'm really into, I look up at the moon through a telescope and wonder how in the world that is there. I understand gravity. I understand gravitational pull. I understand it's what... But why, what is the purpose for that, okay, the ocean's in and out, high tide, low tide. It makes the beach a little bit funner because you have to move your chair, you know, you know, or move it into there. I move away from the water. Some people move into the water. It just depends on how God created you. I don't really like water. So I do take showers, but I don't like this type of water. But, you know, you go back and forth. I mean, what in the world does it do that? The sun. I know the sun gives us heat and stuff, but it's just... It's just hanging there. Sometimes God just creates things. There's other galaxies and other planets and other stuff that we're studying, you know, through science. They don't seem to have life, but we want them to have life. Why do we want other planets to have life? Is it because we're Star Trek and Star Wars junkies? No, we want something else to have life so that we can see purpose in the universe. What if there isn't any other life on any other planet? What if we're it? What if the only reason God created those amazing things was just to let you know that he's amazing? Shouldn't that be enough? Come on. God sometimes creates stuff like this to say, hey, I'm God and I'm big. And I want you to know that. Not in a prideful way, but he wants you to know that. 
So then what does he do? He gets bigger. <laughs> he gets bigger. Check this out. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Now let me pause here a moment. There's a lot of people that think that this is an alligator. I would submit to you this morning, this is not an alligator. I've seen the alligator man wrestle an alligator. Right? I have seen alligator. This is not an alligator. This is something different. This is something we have never seen, but Job knows what it is. So check, check all this out. With a fish hook, pressed down in his tongue with a cord, that means that whatever this is, is in the water. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Can you control Leviathan? Answer to that question is no. Will he make any places for you, please to you? Will he speak to you soft words? No. Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Answer is no. He's too big. Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? This is God being funny, but making a point. Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Answer is no. You can't kill this thing. You can't cut him up. Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? What this means is, if you were to throw a harpoon at this thing, it would just bounce off of him and not stick in. The answer to the question is no. Or his head with fishing spears. You can throw spear after spear after spear after spear, and it will not sink, it will not go into his head. I do not know what type of beast this was, but I am really glad that some beasts in this world are now extinct. Come on. Because I guarantee you, you would go to Bertle Beach if you knew that was an ocean. We're already scared of sharks, right? Yeah. Verse 8, lay your hands on him and remember the battle. You will not do it again. That means you will lose and you will not do it again. It goes further. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. Whatever this is, when it gets aroused and when it comes up, you feel very small and you feel powerless. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? This is a creature you don't want to mess with. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in here that are scared to death of snakes and wouldn't want to rouse a snake, right? Yeah, there's a lot of people in here that are scared of spiders and wouldn't want to rouse a spider. In fact, if I see a spider, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different way around that spider unless it's crawling on across my floor and... If I don't kill it, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night because it didn't kill it, and it might still be crawling around. So that will make me kill it. But if it's somewhere outside, I will go around. Um, I do not go up underneath my house because I'm scared of spiders. Not snakes. I'm good with snakes. But, but spiders. This is something that is so large, nobody would dare want to stir it up because of the mere mass that it has, the, the, the hugeness 
of it. So, verse 11. Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silent concerning his limits or his mighty strength or his godly frame. Who can strip Leviathan off his outer garments? You can't even skin this beast. Who would come near him with a bridle? You can't control this beast. Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely with a seal. That means these shields are not on his back. They're sticking up. So there's these shields on his back. What is not clear here is if these shields are like, I don't know if I can, are like in a straight row or if there's rows of these things that are just together all on his back. It's just not, not clear. What's clear is you don't want to mess with them, right? So near to another. Verse 17, they are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezing flashes forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Now let's pause here a moment. His sneezing flashes forth light. What do you think that is? It's fire. Something's coming out of his mouth that is fire. I know, I know. Look, I know. I know. You're like, what is this thing? Can this really happen? Yes. Yes. God is describing a real, a real and present danger. In fact, if you were to make a movie about it, maybe you would call it clear and present danger. Right? Maybe you do that. It is, it is something that is real. And this thing has fire coming out of it. Out of his mouth goes flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from a bowling pot and burning rushes. Job knew what this was. You didn't want to disturb it. You didn't want it to come into your neighborhood. You wanted it to remain in the sea. It was massive. It was big. It was scary. And everybody was scared of it. Everybody. Because you couldn't control it and you couldn't kill it. You couldn't control it. You couldn't kill it. Crazy. Verse 22, in his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. That, that word there, in his neck abides strength, means that his neck is pretty long and it's very strong. It's not like a stubby neck, right? Like a football player. It's not like that with pads on. I know they're, it's not like that. His neck is very strong. You can't do anything with his neck, okay? His heart, verse 24, is as stone, is stone hard as the lower milestone. You can't kill him in his heart. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. That means any branch of military is totally afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. None of this has any effect on this particular beast. You cannot kill it. He counts iron as straw, bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp pot sheards. Don't know what that is. He, he spreads himself like threshings 
uh, sledge on the mire. He makes the deep bowl like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. That means when he swims through water, there is a deep wake that you, want, you do not want to be involved with. It's deep. It's huge because this creature is big. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. We read that, verse 33. On earth, there is not his like. A creature without fear. A creature without fear. He sees everything that is high, and he is king over all the sons of pride. And then there's a pointer in the Hebrew in that verse for you to go all the way back to chapter 40, verse 24. Verse 24 that says, Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can anybody control this? Now, what in the world would be the purpose for a beast like this? What in the world would be a purpose for a beast like this one. And why does God bring this up to Job right now? Why is he doing this? Well, see, Job wants to present his case before the Lord, doesn't he? He wants to present his case before the Lord that he is righteous and he is good. He wants to stand before God and make that. Somewhere along the journey, Job has begun to believe that because he has lived correctly, he can present his case, and he is great enough to stand before God and present his case before God. Is everybody tracking with me? So he thinks he's righteous enough to stand before God and present his case because Job is great. He knows that God's great, right? but he thinks he is great and strong enough to stand before God. God is telling him in this moment that his greatness has limits. That Job thinks that he can stand before God, but his greatness has limits, and God's greatness doesn't have limits. There are no limits to the greatness of God. Job has limits. He might be righteous, but he is still weak because he can't control behemoth, and he definitely can't control Leviathan, and he definitely didn't create any one of those. I think this is a great, this is a great lesson. I think this is a great lesson. Sometimes you and I begin to think that we are really great. Basically, it's because of what we do. Some of us have been have walking with the Lord for years. Some of us have just started walking with the Lord. Some of us have had rocky roads, but we're back with God now, you know, and we come to church. It's not hard to go to Walmart and not think you're great. There are things that happen in the world where you're like, oh my goodness, I would never do that, so I'm a pretty good person because 
they are that way and I am this way, and we can begin to think that we are great. Some people begin to push and push and push for power so that they can be in control over something. Some people push for power in their marriage, in their family, at their job place, in the world. Some people just want to climb the ladder and have a ton of influence and just be really, really great. This passage of scripture, God is saying your greatness is limited. It is never going to be as great as God's. And to be, be really honest, all of our greatness is really weakness when it comes down to it. Because you've seen a donkey before, you may have known some, but you've seen a donkey before, and there are sometimes that donkey will not move because it doesn't want to move, and it plants its feet in the ground, and it will not move. Recently, when we had our little Easter, Easter thing out here, um, we were practicing. Well, the donkey decided he didn't want to practice anymore, and he stopped. Right? Now, there were some people working with him that eventually got him to move. I guess sweet nothing's in the ear. I don't know what happened with the donkey, but the donkey eventually got off our property because he's not back there, you know, just still standing, right? But, but we can't even control beasts. We, we get this, look, we get the sense where we're great and we can control things in this life. And God is saying, you only have the control that I give you. And that is all you have. Um, few, two, two weeks ago, and hopefully this is the last time I'll bring this up, but this just fits so well with this message. Um, two Sunday nights ago, I, of course, was surprised with, with a nice service. I will, I will tell you that that was probably one of the most encouraging things I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, there was a lot of things said. There was a lot of videos. There was a lot of fun, time, fun moments. Um, there's a lot of cards that I received from you, and, and those were really nice and, and really kind. Um, there was people that pulled me to the side and talked about the last 10 years and their effect on their family and what God had done for them and thanked me for that. It, it, was, it was just um, really better than what I deserved, but definitely something that really encouraged me and brought, I didn't realize I needed to heal, and I'm not going to get into that, but I, I, and it healed me to a certain point, and it was just, just an amazing thing. This past Monday, however, um, I'll... I don't know why this is, but something came into my mind, and I just began thinking about, like, a few years back when I was at a church, it just, oh, my goodness. Whew. And I started thinking about, I wonder where that church is. I wonder if they're open. And before too long, I began to battle with this, um, wanting to gloat. Are you tracking with me? Wanting to gloat, and, and then, and then some, some, some other things. Why is that? Because in each one of our souls is a seed of pride, right? And there's, there's a couple of things that stopped it. One, one is I prayed, and two, I, I texted a friend totally randomly, and he responds so well to it because he, he understands how I think. So he, 
He totally, like, I texted it, and as soon as I sent that text, my mind opened up to where it should have been and where it was when we were having that celebration. I sat here watching all of that, and I've looked at your cards, and I've, I've heard everything, and I am amazed at what God has done. I'm amazed at what God has done. I listened to some of the stuff on, on the uh, screen, and I was thinking, man, that, I'm not so sure I really, I really did that. Because see, sometimes when you talk to people and you try to help them out, you're, you're really just trying to figure out what to say, what to do, and you pray about it, and then you say that one thing, and then all of a sudden it turns into something that you, you might have had the first seed for, but something that God took and worked in that person's heart. What I understand from that celebration experience is that God has been at work for 10 years. Are you tracking with me? It is, it is God that has been at work. And the moment that you and I forget that it is God that has been at work is the moment we become too great and too prideful for God to use us. So we, we look at this, and you know, I do live as best as I can, a righteous life. I tried to do what the Bible says. I tried to do that as an example. But it is God who is great. I'm just trying to be more like Christ. It is God who works wonders. I'm just trying to serve him. And he cannot use a vessel that thinks it's all that in a bag of barbecue potato chips. It, it, it can't, he can't use a vessel that thinks it's already made into an awesome image. God only uses vessels that realizes their worth in light of him. You with me? Yeah. So, sometimes when we get criticism from people, the way we respond actually shows how great we think we are. Sometimes when we're in a situation where someone is not living correctly and we've lived correctly and we begin to look down on that, we think we're great and we forget that we're really not. It is God who is great and it's God who gives grace and mercy. So you and I all need to have experiences where we look at people and events and are just amazed at how God used us there, recognizing his power and what he is doing because it's not me. It's somebody greater. It's not you. It's somebody greater. And if you walk out of here every Sunday morning thinking, how great the pastor is, or how I really didn't understand anything he was saying, you have missed the greatness of Almighty God. You have missed the one that can handle behemoth. You've missed the one that can take out Leviathan. You've missed the one that has created the universe and all these amazing creatures. You have missed the most powerful thing you can have working for you in your life and through you in your life. Do not miss 
God. Job is saying he wanted that place before God. He wanted to stand, and God appears. He shows his magnificent, and then this is what magnificence, and then this is what he says. Check this out. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Let me give you a better translation of verse six. Therefore, I despise myself. It is actually, therefore, I retreat. Doesn't that make a difference? Therefore, I retreat. In other words, I have seen, Job is saying, I have seen that you are amazing and that you have done all of this. And what it makes me want to do is not only repent, but retreat and fall back from the greatness that I thought I was to more in line with the greatness of who you are. I retreat. If you're sitting here today and you think that you're all that and you think you're in control and you think you have power and you think you're doing all of this, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for you to retreat back to the place where you realize your place in God's creation and his greatness. It is not about what you can control because you can't control it. It is not because of how great you are because you're really not all that great. Your greatness is limited. It's about the greatness of God, who he is, and retreating in your heart to the point where you're humble enough to recognize that in your place in this world. My place is to be an empty vessel for God to use me and exhibit his power through my life. Not Philip's power, God's power. And you need to have the same attitude. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just take a moment and say, Lord, I retreat because you are great. 